this, um, this, this form of living that we've been engaged in for the past week that we call retreat. And this, this particular form comes to an end tomorrow um, for most of you. Some of you are staying on at Gaia House and, and will continue in a, a retreat form, although it will be a slightly different form than what we have now. But for most of you, the form of retreat, the form of retreat ends. And um, tomorrow, Brad and I will speak about leaving the retreat and speak about life after retreat and try and give you some suggestions and advice that probably most of you will go ignored about how to <laughs> integrate, how to integrate the the sitting and the qigong, the meditation, into the, the different form of life that you will encounter outside of Gaia House. But I would like to speak a little bit this evening about this form of life that exists outside of Gaia House. And um, there's, a, there's a word in, in Pali and in Sanskrit that describes this life, and the word is samsara. <laughs> and I know samsara is a kind of perfume, but, <laughs> but that's not the samsara <laughs> that the Pollyan Sanskrit is referring to. Samsara, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, samsara is cycles. And specifically, cycles of suffering, cycles of dukkha. And, um, and, and, and the, the, the cycles are kind of like a treadmill. And um, the form of life outside of Gaia House <laughs> is, as I'm sure many of you have experienced, can be very much like a treadmill. It's very much cycles, spinning around. Life just spins around. Of course, sometimes even here in the retreat form, we take a look at our minds and we see spinning around. Sometimes the sensations in the body are spinning around. Sometimes the, the schedule looks like it's just spinning around. But, but certainly the, the pace of life outside of Gaia House gives um, a much greater sense of that. And, and the Buddha, the Buddha spoke about this, of course, and he said, um, he said there are eight things that keep the world turning and around which the world turns. Eight things that keep the world turning, eight things that perpetuate these cycles, and it keeps the world spinning round and round, and keeps our lives spinning round and round, and in that spinning round and round, experiencing dukkha, experiencing unsatisfaction, suffering, stress. And then he said, he asked the monks, as he often did, what ate? And the monks couldn't answer him, so he answered himself. And he said, the eight things that keep the world turning around and around which the world turns are gain and loss, pleasure and pain, 
praise and blame, and fame and ill repute. And um, I think the Buddha really hit the nail on the head. If we look at the, the cycles of suffering that we get ourselves into in the world, and the, and the cycles of suffering that, that the world collectively gets into, and if we look at what is it that keeps the world turning, what, what drives the world, what are the forces that drive the world, that keep things, keep things going, and that, and that prevent us, that really inhibit the ability to have any sense of rest, any sense of ease, any sense of, of truly being at peace. When we look at these eight conditions and, and look at the world and, and see, okay, what, what drives the world? What keeps the world turning? And, and when I ask myself that question, the first thing that comes to me is, um, I don't know how many of you know the, the musical, the old musical Cabaret. And there was um, a song in it, and the title of the song and the theme of the song was Money Makes the World Go Round. And, and I, think, I think to a large extent, to a large extent that's true. Money keeps us spinning around. The, the pursuit of money, the, the sense of need for money, the desire for money, the greed for money. And we look, look at, at how the world runs, at how, how countries run. And so much of it is based on economics. And, and economics, to such a large extent, is based on gain. Look at how much in our lives, how much of our lives, as individuals and, and collectively get invested in how to gain. You know, people putting all this money in the stock market with the expectation of, not just an expectation of gain, but an expectation of perpetual gain. It's really bizarre. I mean, you look at the, you look at the, the stock market, you see it. You see if you follow a graph of it back over years, you see it goes up and down. And yet, I think most people who invest <laughs> somehow have the idea that it's only going to go this way. And somehow when it goes this way, it comes as a shock, a surprise. The expectation and the, and the desire and the hope is for continued gain, the pursuit of gain. But if we look at what gain is, of course, wherever there's gain, there has to be loss. There can't be gain without loss. They go together. The two go together. There can be gain in one area, and it may appear just to be gain, but without doubt it's showing as loss somewhere else. So the, the economic gains of the, the so-called first world countries is at the expense of the so-called third world countries. There's a, a gain, there's a loss, there's a, a winner and a loser. And the Buddha had a, a very insightful, very insightful take on this. The, the Buddha 
the Buddha was, um, he had, um, he had a number of very wealthy supporters, and a number of his, his supporters were actually kings. And, and, and the kings would often come to the Buddha for his advice. And, and there, there are a number of places in the discourses where the, the kings would come to the Buddha for advice on how they could go to battle with the other kingdom and win. <laughs> It's very peculiar that here, here, here's the Buddha who's, who's talking about, you know, about non-gain and non-loss, and about um, talking about peaceful interconnectedness. <laughs> and they're coming, saying, "Well, if I go to war with this next, this other guy, am I going to win? Or what can I do to win?" And of course, the Buddha would steer him in a completely different direction. But anyway, the, through through these contacts, the, the Buddha had lots of experience with with the power of, of gain and loss, of winning and losing, the the um, and and the the greed for it. And 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 one of his observations was um, wherever there's a winner, there's a loser, and the loser will always come back to be a winner. Wherever there's a winner, there's a loser. And, and where there's a loser, there will be resentment, there'll be bitterness, there'll be anger, there'll be divisiveness. And all of those forces will compel the loser to come back in some way, to get back what they've lost. And eventually, the loser will become a winner, and the winner will become a loser. And so the cycle goes. Samsara. It keeps turning the world round, keeps turning the world round, so militarily like that. And I think we're seeing signs of that happening in the world right now. And economically, economically, look back over history and we, and we can see how economic empires have, have come up you're living in one right here. Have come up, and they get to a point where it just seems it seems insurmountable. It just it's like how can anything else take it over? But it does. It goes down, and as it goes down, another one comes up, and that one too will go down, and another one will come. The empires, the the political empires, the the financial empires, they come and they go. They have their ways, just as surely as the breath comes and goes. As surely as the thoughts through the mind come and go. Gain and loss will come and go. Wherever there's gain, there's loss. And the pursuit of gain and the avoidance of loss the attempt to avoid loss keeps the cycle going, and it's and it's um and it, it keeps the cycle going. It, it it really is kind of like a treadmill. I think um, I've never tried running on a tread on a on a, a wheel. You know, I've run on a treadmill, but not on a on a wheel. You know, like the hamster cage with the wheel going around. And and it, uh, but I I've watched the hamsters running. 
And I get this sense that it's like, once they start, once they start, <laughs> can't stop, you just have to keep going. <laughs> have you seen that? Have you watched that? Because as soon as they stop, the wheel goes up, the, the wheel keeps spinning, they stop running, the wheel keeps spinning, and they get carried up with it and then crash. Once the treadmill gets going, once the cycle gets going, it's like you have to keep going. And you don't just have to keep going, but you have to keep going faster and faster and faster. How many of you have experienced this in your life? We get on this treadmill, we get on this wheel, we get in this cycle of samsara, and we have to, in order to stay on it, we have to keep going faster and faster and faster. Because we know that as soon as we stop, we're going to crash, there's going to be loss. And the aversion to loss is so strong, the aversion to loss can be so strong, and often is that aversion is so strong that even though we know we're in deep suffering, in the running faster and faster and faster, we keep doing it. What madness! Sometimes we can see it in the meditation practice too, perhaps. Come into the meditation practice, and we have all these ideas. It's going to be all peaceful and calm and quiet and still. And the mind's going to get quiet. And it's going to be blissful, and and we sit and we start making effort, hmm. and trying and trying, and then in some magical way it happens. The mind suddenly gets quiet. It's, oh, got it, got it. Oh, wonderful. And then it goes. And then what did I do to get that? I got to try got to get it back. i got to try harder. No, I'm not trying hard enough. i got to try harder. And keep trying harder and harder to get it. And then again, it comes in some magical way. And then it goes. And it's the pursuit of the gaining of something, whether it's an experience or enlightenment or quiet mind or whatever it happens to be. The pursuit of gain so easily can take over and we get wrapped up in trying to get something, trying to get somewhere. And meanwhile, the instructions are saying, just be here, don't do, just be. And we're trying so hard to get to just being, which is down at the end of the treadmill. We have to get there. It's right here, we just stop. The gain and loss keeps the world spinning around, and once it gets spinning, the world turns around it. It becomes the center around which life turns. Gain and loss. Pleasure and pain. The pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain is so strong. It's so strongly conditioned into us. It's conditioned into us in our lifestyle as well as in our meditation. In our lifestyle, it's very much tied in with the gain and the loss. 
the pleasure, the, the, the gain that we seek is so often to gain pleasure. We do what we can to create a more comfortable lifestyle and a more comfortable life. And we, we feel some discomfort and then it's, oh, I have to get something. I, you know, I sit down to meditate. Oh, I need another cushion. I have to get a, a better chair or maybe a different teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the feeling of needing more of needing something else in order to feel pleasantness and of course the, 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 the search for pleasantness the attempt to get pleasant is at the same time an attempt to get away from the unpleasant to get away from the pain and the, and the pleasure and the pain, again, becomes a cycle. Now we can see this at, at our own individual levels in our, in our lifestyles, where we, we start um, buying things, getting things. We need, um, need, a, need a computer to, uh, to do certain things. And then they, they change all the programs, and the programs need more memory. And then, oh, I have to get a faster computer. I have to get a more powerful computer. And then the, the, new, the new computer doesn't work with the old printer. So, oh, I have to get a new printer. <laughs> and it, it just goes on and on. And, 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 and the, the, the economic aspect of gain and loss starts to impinge pleasure and pain. In order to have more pleasure, I have to gain. And the anxiety and the fear that if there's loss, there's going to be pain. It's going to be difficult if I have to, if I have to give up anything. To give up anything is perceived as it's going to be difficult going to be painful. The Buddha said separation from what we love is dukkha. And we feel it when we when we lose something or when we have to give up something. There's dissatisfaction in that. And 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 culturally the the the, the quest for pain, the, the, the drive, the drive, not for pain, the, the drive for pleasure and the avoidance of pain. So, so much of our medical system is aimed at just take a pill, feel good. It's just for the pleasure and to get rid of the pain. Very little to do with healing or with curing. Just feel better. Get rid of the pain, and and we and we and we come up with all kinds of ways of just avoid the pain and get the pleasure, feel good, and then we can just carry on, and we can ignore we can ignore the conditions that are giving rise to the to the pain. So the pursuit of pleasure and the and the avoidance of pain. And, and, and the pain, in the meantime, the pain is trying to tell us something. 
Pain is a signal, it's a message, it's trying to tell us something. It's calling to be listened to, for some understanding to come from it. But no, 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 don't want that, I want the pleasure. So we seek the pleasure. And in, 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 our, in, our, in, in society, in our culture, the, again, the, the pursuit of, of pleasure and the gain that's needed in order to get that. The pleasure and pain keeps the world turning around. And again, it gets in a cycle, and once it gets going, the world turns around it. Gets a momentum going, and it's so hard to stop. Praise and blame. Praise and blame is a big one. You look at what, what drives the world, what keeps the world turning around. And, um, and what, what comes to me is how much of our cult, so-called culture is based on the entertainment industry and the extent to which the entertainment industry is based on praise and blame, fame and disrepute. Praise and blame. <laughs> you want to learn about praise and blame, come and sit here and give a Dharma talk. <laughs> come here and sit here and lead a guided sitting. Sit here and give instructions. It's amazing how one Dharma talk, same words being spoken, same person speaking it, same time, same place, everything's the same coming from this end. And from that end, <laughs> wonderful talk, great, wonderful, oh, definitely want a copy of that tape. Um, Another person comes, what was that all about? <laughs> didn't understand a thing of that. It just didn't make sense at all. And then someone else comes and says, you're absolutely wrong about that. It's not like that at all. The, the range of responses to exactly the same thing can be so, so extreme. And, and 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 eventually, <laughs> eventually, I begin to recognize that it it's saying as much about the other person <laughs> as it is about me or about the talk. And and if we if we if we give too much attention to praise and blame, what it does to us emotionally and psychologically. And again, as individuals and collectively, as a country, as a planet. You know, we get, get, keep getting praised. The praise comes and we get praised and wonderful, 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 wonderful. And, and, and so often we see how, how praise leads to arrogance. Just get so full of praise. Oh, yeah, and start to believe the praise. Yeah, I'm great. It's really great, yeah. 
and 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 the arrogance and the arrogance the the arrogance sets in and then eventually it leads to blame person gets arrogant from being praised so much and then people kind of turn on that person and the person who's praised becomes the one who's blamed and again gets into a cycle in countries I won't mention a country that's a good example of this at the present time (laughs) you know a country has a a kind of a, a collective pursuit of praise, of wanting to be wanting to be recognized, wanting to be acknowledged as the best, as the greatest, <coughs> as the most powerful, and in many ways is. But the arrogance that can so easily set in with that, and then the blaming starts coming. praise and blame and then start getting blamed and then the defensiveness comes in and with the defensiveness comes more aggression and then more blame and the cycle just goes round and round and round keeps the world turning round and the world turns around it and fame and ill repute. As I mentioned, the, the entertainment industry. Mind-boggling how, how much the entertainment industry drives this world. And a big part of it, of course, is gain and loss, profit. But a, a lot of it is tied in with the fame and the disrepute. The pursuit of fame. Gonna move to New York or to Hollywood and become a big star going to form a band and make recordings, make CDs and sell them and make lots of money and be really famous. Or they'll become a meditation teacher and travel all over the world. <laughs> that pursuit of fame, the pursuit and, and, the, and fame at, at, the more, at the more subtle level, the pursuit of recognition. And, and the feeling of, of, of a need to be recognized by others and to be affirmed by others. The need for affirmation from outside of ourselves. It, it, it can drive, it can drive us. And it can drive collectively too, a whole culture, a whole society, a whole country. the need to be recognized, the drive, the pursuit for fame. And, of course, we've, we, we, I think we've seen examples, and I think, and yeah, especially in the entertainment industry, we see where a person one day is famous and at the top of the heap, and the next day they're kind of out, and there's a new famous person, and you see it in the music industry a lot, with, with singers, with musicians. These one-hit wonders, or one-year wonders. Someone comes up and they're really promoted and really famous, and a year later, where are they? Singing in Las Vegas. 
<laughs> the capital of gain and loss. <laughs> Fame and disrepute. There's um I heard, a, heard a, an interview, a couple of a couple of interviews I've heard in the last in the last year or so that 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 really touched something on on this theme. One, um, I was an interview with a, a race car driver, a Formula One race car driver, uh, a Canadian driver, um, Jacques Villeneuve, and um, and Jacques Villeneuve, um, his his father was a I don't know how many of you know. Are into racing and all. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> his father. His father was a very famous racer and a very skilled Formula One car racer, and he died in a in a car crash. And um, and Jacques came along, and because of the father, he had the fame. So he began his career with the fame, and he began, of course, he began at the bottom of the heap. But he had the, he had the name, he had the fame, and. And um, within within two or three years of starting to race in Formula One, he was the world champion. He was considered the best car race driver in the world, earning millions of dollars. He was paid millions of dollars to drive a car around, <laughs> around and around and around. <laughs> Moved to Switzerland. <laughs> and he was at the top of the heap and four years later completely out of a job unemployed didn't win another race after that year completely out of it and I heard him being interviewed um, when he was unemployed and um, and he said that when he first began he never imagined that he would be the world champion it didn't occur to him. And then he said that when he became the world champion, it never occurred to him that he would ever again be anything but that. The fame that props up the, the arrogance, the delusion, so strongly. Just can't see anything else. He couldn't imagine ever not being. But it's inevitable. The law of physics. What goes up must come down. Wherever there's fame, there's going to be ill repute. Same as praise and blame. And that, but that, that pursuit of fame, the pursuit of recognition, and all that goes with it, drives. It drives. And of course, they do very much work together. They really, they really go together. And, and I, another interview I heard, another sport. <laughs> Funny, I'm not, I'm not really into sports, but some of these, some of these sports interviews are, are good. The gain athletes, athletes are another good example of the pursuit of gain, aren't they? Look at what the football players get paid, and what the hockey players get paid, and the baseball players, and, and the. The, uh, the hockey players in North America are on strike now because their average one and a half million dollar a year wage isn't enough for them. Mm-hmm. 
So this uh, this other interview with a golfer, and again a Canadian golfer, and um, and he sort of came from nowhere. He was kind of unknown, and he was he was in the professional golf circuit, and kind of unknown. And um, and two years ago, he suddenly came up and he won the um, the U.S. Masters tournament, one of the biggest the biggest golf tournament in the U.S. He had never won a big tournament in his life. And all of a sudden, he won the biggest one. And again, millions of dollars, lots of endorsements and all kinds of things, all the, the gain that goes with the fame and the praise that goes with it. And I heard him being interviewed, and the interviewer asked a really good question, I thought. He said, um, How is the, what, what difference have you noticed in your life since you won? And his answer was, first, um, he said, I get invited out to a lot more dinners, <laughs> and 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 the second he said he said now I, I've won this tournament and I can finally afford to buy good golf equipment, and everybody wants to give it to me. <laughs> the gain and the praise and the fame, all coming together. He also hasn't won a major tournament since, but he's but he he's he's okay. I, I've heard him interviewed since then, and he 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 knew he knew he knew about gain and loss and, and praise and blame and fame and ill repute, and he's he's very cool about it. But they but they they so easily come together, don't they? He gains something, and all of a sudden. You're famous. People want to hang out with you. People want to talk to you. You know, and I, this, this golfer, after he won, he had, he had never been interviewed by an American newspaper or radio, or never been interviewed, and all of a sudden he won this one tournament, and the American sports media was lining up to interview him. The fame that comes with that, that gain. And then, of course, since then, he hasn't won another tournament. I don't think he's had another interview from an American sports newspaper. The, the loss, and there goes the fame. They keep the world turning round. They keep the world turning round if we get caught in the pursuit and in the fleeing. The, the the Buddha the Buddha when he after he gave these eight things after he listed these eight he he said to the monks he said ordinary untrained unskilled people experience these eight things gain and loss pleasure and pain praise and blame fame and ill repute ordinary unskilled untrained people experience these. And then he said, awakened, enlightened people experience these eight. Very important statement there. Very important. Because the, the, the Buddha is, is pointing out there that even the enlightened person, no matter how enlightened you are, if you're living in the world, you experience these eight things. The fully enlightened Buddha sitting up here giving a discourse, he's going to get praise and he's going to get blame. 
and you read the discourses and you see he did. The Buddha speaks a number of times in his, in his, in his later life, in the, in the, particularly in the last year or so of his life, speaking of racking pains in his body. This intense pain in his body. He speaks of the loss of disciples, disciples going off to other teachers, or disciples, the monks breaking the rules and going off. One of one of one of his his chief disciples came to him one day and he said um, he said this was this was in the later years after after many years of many monks coming and going and practicing and one of his chief disciples came to the Buddha and he said why is it that um, that in present time compared to years ago we have a lot more rules. And yet a lot fewer monks are getting enlightened. <laughs> and the Buddha said, because of their silly minds, <laughs> because of their minds, because of the pursuit of praise, of gain, of fame, a number of stories of monks seeking fame. One of, one of, one of the rules for monks is that they're not allowed to show off their show off whatever psychic powers they may have developed or whatever powers they, have, they may have developed and this, and, this, and this rule arose out of one monk who was who kept materializing gold begging balls <laughs> and and people would come to the other monks and they'd even come to the Buddha and say, wow, this monk can materialize these gold begging bowls. How come you can't do that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and this monk would just keep turning out these gold begging bowls. <laughs> the pursuit of gain and of fame. Where was that? <laughs> so the Buddha, the Buddha pointed out that everyone experiences these. And again, very important point, because we, we often have these ideas of what enlightenment is and, and what an enlightened person is like and, and how an enlightened person in the world is. And, and we have these ideas that, that enlightenment means that everything is easy and smooth and life is just gain and pleasure and <laughs> praise and, and fame. <laughs> but no, the Buddha says even the enlightened person experiences these. And then he says, so what's the difference? What's the point? What's the difference? If everyone experiences these, if the unenlightened, untrained person experiences, the enlightened person experiences, what's the difference between the two? And of course, the difference is in the clinging and the absence of clinging. The grasping, the absence of grasping. The craving, the absence of craving. So for the for the for the unskilled, untrained, ordinary person, there's a getting caught up in it. The pursuit and the and the avoidance drives the world. It keeps the world turning, the outer world and the inner world. And of course the two are very much related. For the enlightened person, the experiences still come. 
because the experiences arise out of the conditions that are happening at the time. They're unavoidable. They're not in our control. Gain and loss isn't completely in our control. Praise and blame, of course, isn't in our control. Fame and disrepute. We just can't say, world, give me gain. World, acknowledge me, recognize me. It doesn't work that way. But the experiences do come. They, they do show. But the enlightened person doesn't get caught in it. The enlightened person recognizes praise as praise and blame as blame. And doesn't, doesn't identify with it as me being praised and me being blamed. It's just praise and blame arising out of the conditions. It arises and it passes. And so he said, the, the awakened person, when, when facing gain, isn't elated. And the awakened person, when facing loss, isn't dejected. Knowing that gain and loss is just part of life. It's what happens. It's part of these cycles. And, and the, the ability to really deeply understand this and to be steady with the cycles, to be steady with the flow, allows, allows for a freedom of heart and mind and body, allows for a freedom to be with the ups and downs and ins and outs and the changes of life, in a way that there isn't the, the elation and the dejection. And it doesn't mean that an enlightened person is just kind of bland. <laughs> the not getting the not getting caught with, with the with the not getting caught in these and with, with the understanding of what's happening is actually a great joy. There's tremendous inner joy because there isn't a dependency on praise. There isn't a dependency on gain. There isn't a dependency on fame. And that, and that, that absence of dependency really is a freedom. A freedom to meet life, to be with life, to be life to be alive with all its ups and downs. It's in the, in the, in the Chinese tradition, they speak of the, the hundred thousand, the ten thousand, the ten thousand, the ten thousand, the ten thousand joys and the ten thousand sorrows. To be able to meet the ten thousand joys and to meet the ten thousand sorrows and be free and be at ease and be at peace with it all. Tremendous joy in that. So when we, when we leave the, this form that we have here, this form of life, we enter into a different retreat. We enter into, we, we came, we came into Gaia House and we're coming into a retreat from our everyday, everyday life, our so-called real life. And now we'll be retreating from life here. 
and moving into a different form of life. Very important, these, these, these qualities of mindfulness and of inquiry. As, as you leave and as you go back into your routines, give attention, bring mindfulness, bring inquiry, and really look into these, these cycles. Look into samsara, look into these, these eight conditions, and see in your own lives, are these driving your life? Are these eight things driving your life? Is your life being driven by them? And if they are, is there satisfaction in that? Is there peace in that? Is there ease in that? Is there joy in that? And if not, step out. Step into the unknown. Release. Let go. Be free. Let's sit quietly together for a few minutes.